Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. For our, our listeners, I'm sorry for that rough transition. For our viewers, you're going to see some activity in and around the studio as we try to get this show kicked off. Uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty. There's only uh, playback audio in one half of the studio. So uh, Lieutenant Traverse is carrying the weight of the program, and Dave's trying to figure out how I can I can hear what's going out on the signal. Um, but welcome to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Uh, my name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers for this supposedly weekly radio broadcast. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning. Outreach coordinator and commander for the Pittsfield Police Department and sound engineer extraordinaire. And although this is a uh, purportedly weekly radio program, it feels like I haven't been in here in over a month. But we'll talk. Sounds like we've uh, finally got some enjoyable get out there and playing it summer Berkshire weather. Mid-80s. Mid-80s. I like that. Good sleeping weather at night. Yep. A little bit of a breeze. Not going to be as oppressive as it's been for the last couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, we should be in good shape. You got any plans for the weekend, Lieutenant? Um, yeah. We're uh, going to get out on the lake for a little bit on Saturday. Um, and uh, R&R, um, as I discussed, uh, I don't know if it was last week, uh, my last uh, vacation block, I did a lot of work and uh, going to try to make a correction this time. <laughs> you did discuss that last week. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> um, I didn't prep any news articles for this morning's show, but I, I, you know, I did check the morning news on my way in here. And there's a, there's a couple things going on that I just want to highlight. One of them I'll revisit towards the end of the program because it has to do with upcoming special events. Um, and it's it's not police related at all. It just made me smile, and I, I you know, we could all use that right now. Um, I was reading an article last night from the Saratogian, which got, I got because of a Google alert, and it's ref the story is referenced in today's Berkshire Eagle, and it's about the fact that uh, Barrington Stage, which although they had to move the performance outdoors to the tent space on Linden Street, they're getting ready to kick off an a live stage performance uh, you know a theatrical performance it's a one-man show i will have to pull up the name on the break i apologize um but what i didn't realize is right now this this actor who's appearing in this show is the only actor equity like the you know broadway performers professional union he's the only one performing in the country right now <laughs> Really? Yeah, everything's shut down for live performances. So this guy's like, he's out there in front of it. He's legit. And Barrington Stage is leading the way in reopening live theater. Uh, just, you know, Pittsfield. Yeah. We, we are, according to the Saratogian, we are the center of the live theater universe right now. And I, I only know about this um, as much as I do because I was... A little bit of uh, involved in uh, looking over the their plans with with Captain Grady out uh, and you know the taking care of the special some of the special event stuff that's coming in, but that's that's back to back with another performance. So yeah, that Godspell is going to open right after that. That, that tent is going to be there for two different tents, right? 
Is it two different? I, I, I thought so. it was the same tent. I think it's two different tents. Okay. They're going to be there for basically a month. Yeah. So yeah. outdoor performances all of August. Yeah. And, and pretty much every night. Yeah. It's a so, lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, the other news article that jumped off the page this morning, and again, I saw it in the breaking news last night, um, and I don't know how I feel about this. I'm, 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 I'm proud and, and, and happy and excited for my friend, and I'm a little bit frightened and heartbroken. It looks like Superintendent McCandless is a candidate for a superintendent's job in a neighboring school district. Yep. Top three. Yeah. Finalist. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've been through this before when Jake has expressed an interest in looking elsewhere and moving. He's been Pittsfield superintendent for se- over seven years, right? You know, it's, I get it. Um, but I, I'm not happy about it, Jake. What, did we have that scare about a year ago? Yeah. Listen, Jake, I'm sure you're I'm not sure. You're probably very busy. I'm sure you're not listening. But if you are or if you see this in, in repeats, I'm not happy about it. Um, I wish you luck, but I'm not happy about it. So, all right. Um, Lieutenant. We talked about this briefly before we left at the end of the day yesterday, and uh, I should have I should have fired off a secure comment to you and let you know, but I didn't. I'm going to put you on the spot because oh. I was trying to think about what we should talk about, uh, at least for the bulk of this program. And uh, I had an experience in a uh, management team meeting yesterday, and I was like, you know what? That's what we're going to talk about. Um, so, v- by way of introduction, you know, you're you're the cops bureau commander communications outreach and professional standards it's it's kind of a big catch-all you got a lot of areas of responsibility in there but the first one communications includes our dispatch center our our public safety answering point our PSAP and um I've talked about this on the program in the past and you know we're police officers we went through our basic training to be police officers to work in the field to you know respond to calls for service to investigate crime to make arrests we're not trained as, as dispatchers, as communicators. And 25 years ago when I came on the job, um, we were still in the period of transition between police dispatching and paid professional emergency telecommunications operators. Um, we were civilianizing the, the dispatch center, but we didn't have enough staff to fully staff the dispatch center. So we had some police officers, a small number, a handful, I, I think, got every day. I wasn't in the group that got picked to do that. Um, but they would spend between half and, and all of their shift once a week working dispatch, generally on the midnight shift. Uh, and so because we had police officers who were in there and were trained and experienced, they could explain to us some of the stuff that happens in the dispatch center that we might we might not think about or you know we would we would just take for granted and the best example i can use when i'm talking to the community is when things are real busy in the city the dispatchers have um, multiple responsibilities they're answering phones they're communicating on radios on multiple frequencies they're talking to police they're talking to fire and sometimes officers in the field get impatient because they call them with their call sign and there's not an immediate response and in their mind there's a dispatcher sitting on the other end of that radio waiting for them to talk and they forget that the dispatcher could be on a 911 call, they could be on a business line call, they could be on another frequency communicating with another officer or another agency. And so there, there's a, sometimes a lack of understanding. And uh, bridging that gap and figuring out how we communicate the differences between um, what's going on in the field and what's going on in the communication center has always, has always been a challenge. 
And then we added the responsibility of emergency medical dispatch. And it completely shifted because now you can't have, unless, unless they're fully certified emergency telecommunications operators, you can't have cops in the dispatch center, right? Because of the training and certification requirements to be a dispatcher, a dispatcher is a dispatcher, a call taker, or, you know, call taker, dispatcher, emergency telecommunications operator. So we don't have that commonality. We don't have cops who are saying, yeah, but you didn't think about it this way. So when we go through processes where we have to make changes in dispatch, it's slow and there's a lot of communication. And you've been doing that, a, a pretty major project, uh, for close to a year now. Yep. Right? And all of this is by way of introduction because I want to get to some recent work you've been doing that led into this conversation yesterday. So um, the dispatchers are an important part of our public safety team. And they have a lot of, I don't say, they don't have a lot of control. They have a lot of influence over how things get received and how they get dispatched, right? They're, they're an important communications nexus. And they build competencies and, and habits over time. And sometimes those habits influence field deployments. Right. They whatever whatever they hear, whatever they take in, whatever they put into the call for service, that's the information that the officer starts with. And most of the time it's fine. Right. It, it's a great system. But sometimes we we build organizational habits or cultural habits because it's, it's a matter of something that it's better for the dispatcher. Right. They want to keep their screen clear. They they want to provide the best level of service. So they say things or do things to get a particular response by an officer in the field so that they're done, right? They're, they they want to they be done. They want to complete their task and their mission. Uh, and over time, some of those things can put us in a situation where we're like, what the heck is going on? So last year you started the switch for uh, emergency medical dispatch from paper, cards, or flip charts to an electronic system. And you've talked about that a little bit in the past. Yeah. It, it was not easy. It complicated, expensive. They can't see you nodding your head. Well, yeah, I guess they can on PCTV. I don't want to interrupt you. It's, <laughs> You're it's, on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm, tr I'm trying to get to a, a point here anyway. And I'm sorry for the. So that process was going on already. It's, it, you know, what, we're, what I'm going to talk about in a minute is not a result of that process. The process was already going on. It's something we had to do. Um, and as part of that process, you made a decision with your dispatch staff and your dispatch supervisors to take a look at the number of, um, in, in our language, in our world, calls for service or calls for service codes, the number of options available in the menu to create a call. When somebody calls, it's got to go in as something, and it's not free text. They're not making it up. They're picking from a list of options. Yep. And what they pick can influence the field deployment. Yep. Right, so if somebody calls in and um, they're from another from a, another agency, a nonprofit organization or an agency, and they ask to have a police officer meet them, and it goes in as assist agency, that might prompt, or we used to go in as assist agency, that might prompt a particular response. But if it goes in as assist citizen, it might get a different response, right? They're, same same call, but depending on the code, it might it might change a little bit. It's a little bit of bias. Um, 
And so you went through and you consolidated a lot of calls for service to streamline that list and make it easier and quicker to have things to pick from. And the decision, and it's a decision that, you know, command was involved in and we support, was to differentiate on the back end instead of on the front end. Right. So minimize the number of possible calls for service, maximize and get detailed on the call disposition. The call action side. The, yep. the, the, the outcome. Yep. So you did that, and your team did that, and you did a great job. And, and But when the consolidation was over, then we were in the summer of 2020, um, post-onset of the pandemic, yep. post-murder of George Floyd, post-civil disorder and, and protests and Black Lives Matter activity and, and defund the police activity, um, post-Seattle you know, and Portland and post you know the ongoing the budgetary conversations so there was all kinds of stuff going on and you had some questions about some of the remaining calls for service and whether whether we should even do them if if they're things police should do all right um at the same time because of everything that's going on nationally and elsewhere in the commonwealth I shared with the command staff a document from another police department, a police department that we do a lot of training and, and policy development work with, about their new approach to a call that for my entire career uh, would have been coded as a call for service, suspicious activity. Yep. Uh, and basically, the decision by this police department, and we're exploring implementing a, a similar procedure, is if a call comes in for suspicious activity, but the caller can't articulate what the activity is, we shouldn't send the police, right? All right. Um, and so we, I've been a police officer for 25 years. For 25 years, if somebody called us and said, I want a police officer to come to my street, there's somebody on my street, they're acting suspiciously, we would send the police. Generally, we'd send two, yep. right? And in hindsight, and in looking at the, the policy or the general order that came out of Norwood, the question is, what's suspicious activity? And the question is, who should be describing the suspicious activity? Right? And so um, I was talking to somebody last night briefly about this after you and I spoke about it. And there's all kinds of questions about Im implicit bias and, and where um, the officer might have a bias and how that that changes their reaction. But what we're starting to have a national conversation about in the industry is what about the caller bias, right? If yep. the person who initiates the call introduces bias into the chain of events that's eventually going to lead to that police interaction, how do we account for that? And so it, I, don't, I don't have the answer yet. I mean, it's very much a work in progress. We're going to spend a lot of time working on this as a department and as a command staff. But if somebody calls and says, there's somebody on my street, they're behaving suspiciously, okay, what are they doing? Well, they're not doing anything. They're walking on my street. I haven't seen them before. I don't know them. I haven't seen them before. Yeah. Right? And so these, these are the type of calls that lead to tragic outcomes. And so the reevaluation is, why are, we, why are we going on that? And then you and I were having a conversation, uh, and I don't want to get into the details right now about how... how we reached this discussion because it, it happened locally. Um, but if the dispatchers are asking more probing questions to try to get to, you know, what is it they're doing? Are they walking up and down driveways? Are they checking door handles? Are they looking in car windows? Okay, that's a specific action 
And yes, that would be inherently suspicious. Yep. And yes, we probably should go check that out. But if they're just walking in a neighborhood and you've never seen them before, or they're out for a jog, and you think that is suspicious, uh, you know, seen tragic outcomes of that. Um, but the, the point I made when I was talking to you and your dispatch supervisor yesterday is if the dispatcher is asking probing questions, and at some point the caller mentions skin color or ethnicity, not only are we not going to investigate the suspicious activity, now we got to have a follow up with the caller. Right. right. And uh, I actually had a conversation with one of our officers yesterday and um, she she shared with me that when she gets sent on calls like that. After she explains why she's there to the. Particular or the party, right, the principal party, then she goes to the caller and explains why it was wrong to call, which I was thrilled to hear that that's her that's been her procedure and her practice. And we may have to implement that across the board. Um, so by, this is a very long introduction, um, but let's talk about some of the calls that you identified as maybe we shouldn't be there. Okay. Yeah. I am on the spot because I don't have my list in front well, of me. We don't, I, <laughs> we don't I, need yeah. to, we don't need to have the whole list. Yeah, I mean, right. We don't have to talk about all of them. I'll, I'll, I'll start with one that has given me pause since I was a patrol officer mm-hmm. and I tried to fight it when I was a shift commander. And I argued it with the judiciary when they changed it. Um, if a parent is having trouble, and it, you know schools are closed right now, so we don't have to dis- deal with this right now, but whatever happens in the next month, schools are going to reopen. Mm-hmm. If a parent is having difficulty with a child and the child refuses to go to school, why are we sending the police? That, you know, when we had these initial discussions... That was the exact call or, or, or you know. Well, during the, the school the, year, it happens dozens of times a week. Yeah, that was the exact call that, that came. That, that's the forefront of it. Right? Right. That comes to mind because it was so common. Now, you know, child now, refuses to go to school or obey their parent. Now, let's think about this, right? Because if we're talking about the police and the role of police and what police should do and what they shouldn't be doing, you got an older elementary school or middle school age child. They're misbehaving. It's not a crime. They don't want to go to school for whatever reason. They're tired. They're hungry. They're scared. They're being bullied. Maybe they're just having a bad day. For a variety of reasons that we'll discuss in a minute, the response, the, the conditioned response, the instructed response is to call the police. And we send one, and because of officer safety considerations and procedures, sometimes two police officers to a home to try to make a child go to school it we're not getting that kid back right yeah that's that's not your most ideal introduction to you know somebody in uniform that kid is lost to us as protectors from that point forward right right so i mean we can parse this out what so procedurally operationally the reason we we go on those calls is because the judiciary told us we had to and the reason the parents make those calls is because when they go to court to get a child requiring assistance petition, they are told, and if the child doesn't comply, call the police. Well, you know, I, I don't know when we're going back to school, but I do know when we go back to school, we're not sending officers on those calls anymore, right? We, we, we got to draw the line somewhere. Relative to that, when... Uh 
in my my years as a school resource officer i used to at the beginning of the year send out you know kind of a welcome back letter to the school staff and you know inevitably you have turnover over the summer so you have new staff coming in and you know it was it was for their benefit everybody's benefit as a reminder but it was for their benefit too as as new staff whether it be to the school or the profession and um i would list uh, a pretty much a, a bullet list of you know functions of the school resource officer you know designed under the program and you know so things we did and things we didn't do and one of the things that we i really stressed in that that communication was we don't we're not there to um threaten kids with any kind of you know suspension or you know criminal procedures because they're not behaving on a particular day it, right. it's just it's it's not a some sometimes i think it was used as a tool when for a staff member yeah. or, or even a parent all, all other options they were just so exhausted or frustrated that they were that's what they reached to it, it's inappropriate yeah right. so i mean it's if you've if you've worked in law enforcement more than you know a few weeks you've probably already had this experience and and i decided several years ago that when i experienced this i was going to confront it and it's so prevalent and so popular that there are actually like social media memes about it but you know how many times in your career at roth have you been somewhere community event third thursday fourth of july parade and had a parent as you walk by had a parent say you see that police officer if you don't behave they're going to take you to jail oh it can't even count can't count no right i, I bet you over a thousand times in my career yeah and a couple of years ago i I decided I wasn't gonna put up with it, and so when I when I, I experience it now, I look at the child and say, "I'm sorry, that's not correct. We don't take children to jail for misbehaving, but we do address parents who use threats like that." And I say it loud enough so that the parents <laughs> can hear me. Right? It's it's not appropriate. All right. Um. So the point of this long introduction, and we'll get into some specifics about the different calls, and to get to my my management meeting yesterday is. I finally had to say on the record with some of my fellow department heads, there are things you are used to us doing that we're not going to do anymore. We're not going to do these things anymore. Um, and I'm not saying it because we're, we're de-policing or withholding police services. We're doing a deep dive and a hard evaluation into, in, you know, police legitimacy says we're supposed to listen to the community and be the type of police and provide the type of police in the community wants. Well, the community is very clear. They don't want us doing things that don't require professional police officers anymore. And so we're going to have to take a hard internal look and figure out what are these things we're not doing anymore. Um, and we have to be consistent, too. Right. Obviously, we have to establish these, you know, so, some new protocols and, and standards, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, which some people may not agree with, but it's, you know, oh. the, the, we, we can't cater to different groups of people based on what they think we should do. Right. And we're going to get a lot of criticism. I know we're going to get a lot of criticism. We're going to get a lot of criticism from comparatively safe neighborhoods where we don't do a lot of real criminal investigation police work. And they're going to, and their response is going to be, well, what do I pay taxes for if I can't get a police officer when I want one? Well, 
you know, police have a job to do. We have a, 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 a set role within the community. We have a, a set, set of job responsibilities. And as I've said in a couple interviews, we've experienced a lot of mission creep, right? Another example, and I, I don't have a, a concrete ex, a specific example locally, but we do this all the time too, is, you know, we've had, um, we've had a call for service uh, disposition, a call action for civil matter for, for long before I've been a police officer, yeah. right? Somebody calls and says, I'm having, a, I'm having an issue with my neighbor, and we you know, don't ask the probing questions. So we say, okay, we'll send an officer, and the officer gets there, and I don't know. It's the, the classic one we just had something recently is it's a property dispute, a property line dispute, who's cutting whose tree. Yeah. Right? Now, yes, technically, if somebody causes a significant amount of damage to your tree, there, there could be some type of property crime there, vandalism or destruction of property crime. You know, I want to get into the legal nuances, but if they're on their property and they're trimming something that's overhanging their property, it's not necessarily a crime. We, you now have a civil matter. This is a matter to be mediated or litigated. It's not a matter to be investigated criminally, right? But historically, what we would do is we would send an officer. The officer would take both sides of the story, take a report, file the report, and close it out as civil matter. Right. All that really does is provide documentation from a government agency for both parts of that dispute to then take to wherever they end up, small claims court or whatever. The court doesn't care about our documentation, right? You're the, you're the parties in the litigation. Go litigate it, right? right. Um, so, again, that's, that's another you know, strange example of things that there's no police services necessary, but we go to be, I, I guess, the impartial third party to kind of, you know, witness the, the two sides of the dispute. Yeah. Do we need a cop for that? There's, there's mediation services in the community, right? Call a mediator. And, you know, this is kind of an offshoot to that. Yeah. We've obviously experienced so many of those types of calls that we, you know, have a, we know how to handle them. It's yeah. basically we're... we're referring to other agency or you know civil matter or whatnot but that's an example of they we, we probably cover that to a certain extent in the academy it's been a while since i've been there and and you know dealing with those civil issues but it's not something a dispatcher has any particular training on and it's that's on the job training and that's just a an example of the vast amount of information and services that they provide out of the dispatch room right. um, that because there's certainly those calls where a caller may be specific about what they're calling about rather than just you know I'm having a dispute with my neighbor please send an officer and they would explain this is the problem and a dispatcher especially when they're around for a while and they you know they've they've had these calls and they know how we handle them on the patrol end in order to to alleviate having to send an officer when the officer's just going to tell them that anyway, the, the dispatcher will will give that education over the phone. Right. You know, so it's there. It, it, it creeps not only into the patrol but now into the dispatch. Right, and so you know we're coming up on a station break here, and we'll talk about this more on the second half of the program. Um, now, to be clear, if there's a heated argument going on, and you know they're screaming back and forth, and there's a chance it's going to become physical. Yes, now it's a police matter. 
But if you're just having a disagreement with somebody in your neighborhood over, you know, that's, there's other agencies for that. Um, and so we're going to have to take a look at, at how we're going to do that. Is it via referral or, you know, ref- send them online or the other tools that are available? All right. We'll talk about some more of these types of things after we get a break here. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than 1,000 are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on uh, WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio. I'm stumbling over my words, Lieutenant. It's been too long since I've been in studio. (laughs) Out of practice. I'm trying to figure out how long it's been since I've been in studio. It's been Uh, close to, it's been over a month. Has it been that long? It's been over a month. Yeah. Um, You know, because vacation for a week quarantine for two weeks couldn't figure out how to communicate with you guys for the first friday i was in quarantine and then skyped in last week yeah so it's been over a month um i'm happy to be back we had some changes in the equipment while i was gone as you're experiencing yeah getting a little more used to this new board and you know inevitably as soon as as i get the hang of this the the, the old one will be back and so the old one is out for repair it's coming back right Right. It, it has to because if you're not familiar the old board is the original board from WTBR in the original spaces over at t- the old Taconic High School. It's nostalgic, um, but it was one of the, that in the collection of vinyl or what made the switch over here, and yeah. we, you got to get it back, right? It, it's a part of the history of this that, place. That board, I, I think, is from what, I think the 60s or 70s. Yeah. And yeah. This, this is like the 80s version. You know, yeah. This one's plastic. The yeah. other one was the it's wood, wood right? Yeah. It's wood, right? It's awesome. Speaking of the 60s, so we're going to get back into some of these calls for service that we're going to take a, an analysis of and, and a look at going forward. Um, but I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about how we got here. How we got to the point where the police are the, are the solution for everything. I mean, really, how did we get to a point where judges thought it was a good idea to send cops for kids who won't go to school? Well, you know, I think, like, it's right in the word. You know, you, you use the term mission creep. Creep, little at a time. We just It just got added and added and added, and nothing really got taken away. But why? It, yeah, lack of a better solution. 
So I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've said this. Or another one. Well, no, I started thinking about this and talking to people about it. So, Lieutenant, when when was the 911 system created in the United States? Uh, You're putting me on the spot here. When do you think? 60s. 1968, the 911 system was created, and it was um, implemented. I lost it here. In Haleyville, Alabama, in February 1968. And by 1972, it was nationwide. And I said this during the budget hearings, and I've said it um, in community meetings and coffee with a cop. When we adopted 911 as the go-to emergency number, that really was the beginning of the mission creep. Because three quick digits, contact to a communication center, and somebody was coming, right? Some some government person was coming, police, fire, EMS. Uh and then you take the expansion of the 911 system and then you look at some other changes like deinstitutionalization. So the closing of, um, you, know, you know, you say hospitals, hospitals, um, institutions, right? Yeah. Uh, and the community uh, treatment and the community integration of people with mental illness, um, closing of um, detox centers, you know, what, wet detox centers, dry out centers, right? transitioning to a, a, a treatment mode, not a, a, a holding mode. Um, and so societal societal issues and, and increasing numbers of quality of life issues and a ready call for response, and you start to see the beginning of this. You know, there's, there's a guy, he's, uh, you know, we'll use a guy. There's a guy, there's a gal, they're intoxicated, they're behaving strangely. What do I do? I know I'll call the police, right? And 50 years ago, you, you might call a private ambulance provider. You, yep. you, might, call, um, you might call somebody who, who you might have a personal connection. You might call somebody who runs the 12-step AA program at your church, and they might deploy in the community and, and go take care of that. But over time... You know, more reliance on the 911 system, more societal changes, more mobile societies. It's just what it's convenient. Call 911 and they'll figure out what to do. Right. And uh, then the what we talked about at the beginning, the the that leverage point, that nexus point with the dispatcher. Okay, this is what you have. This person, they're on your street. You don't know them. You think they're drunk. And the dispatcher's got to make a decision. Well, I'm not going to send the big red truck. That's overkill. I'm not going to send the ambulance. I don't know that they're they're ill or injured or need to go to the hospital. Who do I send? I know. We'll send the police. Yeah. Because we're kind of like the, the screener, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now it's been 50 years, more than 50 years, and we're here. And like, why do we go on these calls? Um, you look distracted, Lieutenant. You know what? I'm, I'm looking for the list, the number of, I just wanted to add to this conversation, the number of 911 calls that we've taken over the course of the year. And I, I had an email in here with it. Um, it's not loading up, but it, you know, it's crazy. I I don't want to interrupt your your thought process, but it, it, we're we're over 20,000 911 calls for 2020. It, uh, from, I think it was the. When I did them for the last um, annual report. Okay, yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, calendar year 2019. Yeah. So yeah. if anybody wanted to look up that hard number, I, yeah. I, I'm just looking on my, my phone here, but it's on our website under the annual yeah, report. Yeah, it's an annual report. Um, and so that's a good point because this was another thing that came up in yesterday's meeting. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to say who it was. I don't want to cause any embarrassment for anybody, but we had a situation last year. <clears throat> it happened on a weekend. It was not an emergency. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it rose to the level of crime, right? It, it was a situation where there was a difference of opinion. Um, there, there was some issues going on that needed to be addressed, but it was, it was more like an encroachment issue and a disagreement over what's allowable and what's not allowable. And so somebody who was at the location made a decision that they wanted assistance, but they didn't want to call the police. Now, I can understand why they didn't want to call the police because they weren't sure that this was a police matter. So they called an elected official. And that elected official, after listening to the story, called 911. Now, after we sorted everything out and we figured out what we were going to do and which department should be involved in sorting it out, I had a follow-up conversation. I was like, that's not appropriate for 911. And the answer I got is, well, that's how you call the police. And I was like, wait a minute. Come on. We teach this in kindergarten. We got big magnets that we hand out at community events. Nine one one is for crimes in progress or life threatening emergencies. Right. And my my friend, my colleague, looked at me and they were like, "Oh, I was like, that's not how you call the police. It's it, how did we get to this point right. where an educated professional adult was like, well, nine one one's how you call the police? Like, no, we have a business line, right? We have a non emergency business line. So it came up." In the meeting yesterday, like, well, you know, this question came up during this public meeting and blah, 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 and they're not calling 911, so it's not getting into your log. No. Who makes this stuff up? Right? We tell people all the time, if you need police services, well, number one, don't call the chief's office, right, because the administrative aid in the chief's office can't put the call in. Everything goes through dispatch. Everything goes through dispatch because it needs to be put in the records manager or the, the, the call, the CAD system. It needs to be given a number. They need to access the standard operating procedures of the SOPs to figure out what the appropriate response is. When you short-circuit the system, you delay the response, right? If you call one of our business numbers, and again, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but every 18 months or so, we have to send a memo across the street to City Hall to tell people, when you have an issue going on in City Hall, don't call the chief's office or the finance administrator's office. Call dispatch, because right. the civilians who work upstairs doing, you know, procurement and ordering, they can't send a police officer. They don't have a radio sitting on their desk. Right. Um, you know, don't call Lieutenant Traversa when he's on his day off. And I, I talk to my family about this all the time. They'll call me on my cell phone. I'm like, this is going on. I wanted, you know, I wanted to call the police. I'm like, well, call the police. I did call the police. It's like, I'm going to hang up with you and I'm going to call 911. Right? right. You just, you added five minutes to this process because you think that I have this global connection with the network of the, the working officers. Um, so going back to the types of calls, right? You, you did a nice job identifying. I think there was 24 when I started working with your list, and I, it was probably close to 30 with some additional caveats. Yeah. Um, but the one that jumped out at me, and I completely forgot about it because it usually only happens in the evening. Not always, but usually only happens in the evening. And it's been a long time since I worked patrol in the evening, right? I, even when I get back out on the road, it's generally during the day. Um, 
a patient leaves the hospital against medical advice, and maybe they have a they have a they have a well in right. They were right. in the ED, and they were being treated, and so they got set up for the IV, but they're haven't seen the doctor yet, and they get frustrated, and they leave. And many times they make it home, right? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes if they're on campus, but in our current call system, when they do that. The hospital calls dispatch, and we send the cop. Right. I, I don't know if you were in the room when I had this conversation with one of the dispatchers the other day. I mentioned that exact scenario, and the response was, well, we send somebody because they have a well in their arm. And I said, just food for thought. What's that have to do with the police? Yeah, it's not like they're reporting the well stolen. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to go take a larceny report. Yeah, and we're not taking it out. Right. <laughs> We send a cop to ask them to go back to the hospital. Right. Yeah. That's that that one, sorry, sorry, Berkshire Medical Center. I'm sorry. I, I love you guys to death, but that one, we're all done with. We got to find a better solution. Yeah. Um, so talking about larceny, and this is one that we've been debating uh, for a long time. We've been debating this for several years now through a couple different changes of command staff in the investigative side of the shop. So for our listeners and viewers who may not be aware, a couple of years ago, um, through some legislative changes, the threshold for felony larceny was raised. Right? When the lieutenant and I came on the job, it was $250. So if uh, somebody stole something and it was less than $250, that was a misdemeanor. Citation, go to court, summons, blah, blah, blah. If it was more than $250, it was a felony, and we could make an arrest. Uh, several years ago, that threshold was raised to $1,200. Right? Yeah. It, Listen, don't shoot the messenger. $1,200 is a lot, right? I mean, basically we're saying if they, if they stole your brand new iPhone, we can't arrest them. Right. Uh, they can still be charged if it's under $1,200. But it's going to be a summons. <clears throat> it's going to be a criminal complaint. And the reality is a resident or civilian, a civilian doesn't need us to file that criminal complaint. They can do it themselves. Now, during ordinary times... I use that term in the secular, right, <laughs> and that, not the not the religious terms. But during right. ordinary times, you can go into court and you can just fill out a complaint. You know who the person is, $1,200, blah, blah, blah. But the question is, what happens if you don't know who the person is? It's anonymous, right? So we're not, we don't want to abandon these people. Right? They need somebody they didn't know stole something from them. It's valued at less than $1,200. But you have the entire story. You know everything there is to know about that case at that point in time. And unless there was forced entry and there's some physical evidence, you don't need a cop, right? So right. some things we're not going to say we're not going to handle at all. Some things we're just going to say, file that report online, right? We don't need to come out and dust for prints. We don't need to pick up any shards of glass. There's, there's nothing for us to police. File that report online. It'll come in. It'll go in the system. We'll give it a permanent number. And, you know, then you can go. Um, if, if we, when we assign it to an investigator, if we can identify a subject, we'll put it in the report and send it back to you. And then you can go, you know, sign the complaint and, and go forward. Um, if it's more than $1,200, it's a felony. Uh, obviously we're going to handle it the way we've always handled felony larceny. But the interesting part on that whole thing is now we're talking about a, a property, you know, an actual property crime, the larceny of a thing, uh, the second part of this is financial crimes, right? Yep. Uh, identity theft, credit card fraud, check kiting, whatever it is. And, and 
to be completely honest, if it's a financial crime with a low dollar amount, they're not very solvable. And between the police department and whoever your financial institution is, there's not a, a ton of energy that goes into these. They get documented, and then generally the financial institution makes you whole. So, you know, it's it's more of an insurance thing at that point than an actual loss to the individual resident. And so many of those are perpetrated outside of our jurisdiction. Right. So, you know, I think our recommendation with those going forward is deal with your financial institution, right? We'll take the report so you have a number and then call your bank, right? Yep. That's, that's what you need from us. So those can be done online as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else was, was on the list. There was a bunch on the list. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, it's significant. I think obviously it's, as you said, it's a work in progress yeah. and it, it may grow, but you know, I, I just, I, I just want to um, rewind back and, kind of provide a little bit more in-depth understanding to the listeners as because you were talking about 911 calls and, and the fact that you know we have a business line we have a 911 line and dispatchers are in there answering both and 911 always has precedence over the business line yeah. because the the assumption is we're getting non-emergency calls into the business line and if somebody's calling 911 they're in trouble right now. Yeah. So we need, we need to respond, we need to address that. So on top of that, with, you mentioned EMD, dispatchers may be uh, conducting some sort of an EMD Emergency call. medical dispatch. Yeah, right. um, you know, maybe, maybe instructing somebody on CPR right. or, you know, the Heimlich maneuver or any number of, of how, medical how issues. How to stop bleeding. Yeah, yeah. And Deliver a baby. Yeah. So if somebody then calls for a neighborhood dispute on 911 rather than the business line, <clears throat> that call is going to overload the dispatcher if, if other dispatchers, and, and just so everybody knows, we have, during our two busier shifts, day and evening, we have two police dispatchers and one Fire. fire alarm operator, fire dispatcher now. Um, and then that we scale that back to one and one on, on the midnight shift. But if both of those dispatchers are on 911 calls, that call is going to roll over to our nearest um, public safety answering point, which is the Berkshire County Sheriff's Department, and they're going to get that 911 call. Oh. So those 911 calls have to be answered. And if you're calling about... Um, you know, something that is non-urgent, um, it's, it, you're, you're clogging up the... Well, not just that, right? So, I, again, I need to tread lightly here. I don't, I don't want to call anybody out. We, we had a situation recently that I had to look into. It was, a, it was a quality control thing for the dispatch. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, I can't. I can't fix this. I don't know how. So it was... I'm not going to say the original call wasn't an emergency. All right, from the caller's perception, it may have been, but essentially, it had to do with somebody creating a disturbance. That's how the call came in. But the call comes in, location is given, no caller name, no specifics. Going back to the suspicious activity, so, and the party had left. Right, they're not there anymore. So, not a life-threatening emergency, potentially a crime in progress. Not a lot of. Detail, not a lot of probing questions, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to own that part. But what the officers get is 
this here's the party known by name left the area acting suspiciously they find the party and they check and you know, they ask him a couple questions about what he did and he denies you know deliberately doing it claims it was an accident and he's fine he's intoxicated but he doesn't need any medical treatment so they send him on his way and given the information the officers had they didn't have any other choice there wasn't anything going on there and it's somebody we're familiar with yeah um so in any case they they had no reason based on the information that had been provided to the dispatcher to believe that the the actions in question were deliberate he denied they were deliberate he claims it's an accident and the information that was given to the dispatcher wasn't complete but so that's fine right it depending on the caller's perception call 911 for that but 20 minutes later they called 911 to get a follow up now the original call came in on the day shift and the second call came in on the evening shift and the dispatcher that's sitting there now has no knowledge of the call other than what was in the computer was in the computer yeah. and they make the offer to the caller to either talk to a supervisor or to transfer over to the non-emergency business line so they can spend some time and the caller gets mad and hangs up and the, the dispatcher offered to make the transfer and as i was doing the quality check i started laughing <clears throat> and if you're the, you know, if the caller's listening and you're angry, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the circumstances. But what little I know about, um, the, so the, the 911 system is owned by the government, right? It's it's the state 911 system. Yeah. We're we're a node in it. Yeah. Um, but they take that so seriously that there's action. There's actually like a it, there's like a bad person button, right? <laughs> and they used to use it a lot more. But if you call into 911 for something that's not a crime in progress or a life-threatening emergency, there's actually a button they can push that makes like a really irritating, annoying noise. It's like the buzzer, right? It's, you know, you're, this is an emergency. The the old school dispatchers used to use it all the time. Our current dispatchers don't use it all that often. Um, but they'll tell you this this isn't an appropriate use of 911, and people get mad. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, we're running out of time. There was a lot on that list. Oh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to not talk about this one. <clears throat> Non-priority animal calls when there's no animal control officer working. Right. It, yeah. And the animal activists are going to get mad. <laughs> They're going to. And we're not saying the animals aren't important, right? But animal control officers are also particularly trained. Mm -hmm. They're specialists. And I've been a police officer for 25 years. I've worked hand in hand with animal control for a lot of that time. I guest instruct in their academy, and I still don't know how to do what they do. I don't know the tools and the equipment and the techniques. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so with all my experience, I'm still not the right resource for some of those calls. And so the two examples that have come up in conversation, it's a stray dog, right? Uh, my contacts are, I can't read the numbers on my computer. Um, it's a stray dog. But it's not a stray dog running in and out of traffic. It's not a stray dog that's, you know, creating issues with your... It's a simple, no other information stray dog. And the animal control officer's not working. Yeah. Should we really be sending a patrol officer? Because experience has shown us mostly what this patrol officer does is scare the stray farther. Right? It, we're not going to have a whole lot of success getting the stray. And even if we do get the stray, now we're taking a patrol officer out of service... For a long time. Because they have to grab the animal control vehicle. Right. Because that's the one that has the cages. Right. 
bring it out to you know and, the, the and yeah and the reality is in many of these cases the the person who reports the stray already has the animal they already have the animal so drive it to the shelter right yeah we, we don't need to put a police officer in that process drive the animal to the shelter <laughs> yeah Hopefully you're willing. <laughs> well, you already caught the animal, right? Yeah. So if you drive it to the shelter, much easier for us to meet you at the shelter and key in the alarm code and let the dog in than go through the whole process of going back to the station, getting the animal control vehicle, taking the animal control vehicle, trying to find you and or the animal. If we're success, if unlikely we're successful now, transport the animal, right? Just drive the animal to the shelter. Yeah. We'll meet you there. Um, and then the the not the persistent ongoing. This is us. This is now getting to the point of an, an ongoing persistent disturbance, but the one-off barking dog. My neighbor, whose dog is usually well-behaved, they didn't get home on time or something. The dog's out in the yard. The dog's barking. Okay. Should we send the cop on that? It's. Cool. I mean, why? Right. It's, the officer's not going to put the dog inside. Right. Yeah. We can document. That you called, animal control can follow up with you. They can go check it out and see if it's becoming a problem. And if necessary, they can do the investigation and issue the citation. The police officer is going to do is just put notes in the call log. The yep. dispatcher can put those notes in the call log. Right. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> you mentioned some of the the historical um, factors. You know, in terms of you know the fact that uh, you know nine one one became available to everybody, and you know the the release of of hospitalizations how about cell phones oh my god you know just in the age of cell phones and the availability of that communication while people are out and about we haven't talked about this at all today and this could be a whole nother show so you know because we talked about it on the show that earlier this year i had some issues with my um my government social media accounts for a variety of reasons because of the way they were originally established under the old department account. They just froze. They got locked. They, they're still there, but I can't put any more content on them. So I had to recreate accounts and do something different. And as a result of the new thing, although those are standalone independent government accounts, I can now see them on my personal device. I, I, I can't modify them necessarily on my personal but i can see the stuff that comes in which i'm having some difficulty with because i try to insulate those two things completely separately um it's a smart phone emphasis on the word phone everything goes in through dispatch make the call so i apologize if my friend is listening but it was over the weekend i had some stuff going on i'm in my yard doing some work I happen to look at my phone and there's a notification and a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine is trying to report an in-progress crime and they did it by sending a Facebook messenger message to the department account. Now, that account's not live monitored and I, if I hadn't glanced at my phone, I wouldn't have seen it at all. And I don't know if the other officers who are social media administrators are on or off duty. Even if they're on duty, they're not paying attention. They're not paying to attention to that, no right? Likelihood. Because it's not an official communications channel, right. and we can't introduce it in the court if we need it. So we can't use that stuff. It's a phone call. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Yeah. All right, we're just about out of time. <clears throat> Minute and a half. Minute and a half. 
Um, good things going on in the city. Uh, you can check out the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. They sent the version out yesterday. The Godspell thing is in here. Um, the one thing that I do want to talk about Cultural Pittsfield, we got a got an informal survey going on in the department right now. They are moving forward. They are moving forward with this project for the artistic crosswalks. And they've identified, I don't remember if they said five or six, that are going to uh, be repainted in these creative ways. But one of them is the one right near the PD at school or North and School. And so they've asked for our input into some of the designs. I've actually gotten some real good feedback back so far. It's interesting. Um, but stand by for that because they're going to put these crosswalks out there in these locations. And they're going to be, if you haven't seen the 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 mock-ups they're pretty cool and with the 30 seconds we have left thanks for tuning in this morning to another new episode of on patrol with the ppd here on wtbr 89.7 fm pittsfield community radio